Anybody ever thought that it was ironic that we call this Good Friday? Good Friday. Might be good for us, but it wasn't good for the Son of Man. It wasn't good for Jesus Christ. After all, right after the Passover Seder, which he longed to to have with his disciples, they went out to a very familiar place, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they were singing hymns, singing part of the Hillel Psalm, Psalm 113 to 118. And then Yeshua, Jesus, becomes so burdened that he felt the need to pray because he knew what lay ahead of him. And he told his disciples all about it, but it was like, it just went over their head. They didn't get all these predictions of death and burial and resurrection and torture and all. They they just didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And because they had a big meal and a big Passover Seder and they were in high spirits, they all got sleepy, kind of like after Thanksgiving. You know, you have that big feed. And I don't know about here in Canada, but in America, we usually turn on the football and the ladies go shopping and the guys are just crashed out with with their top button of their pants unbuttoned because they ate too much, and they fall asleep watching football because they're in a food coma. This is sort of what happened to the disciples. It was late at night, and their bellies were full. They were content, and Yeshua felt the need to pray. And his disciples just couldn't stay awake for that. And as he prayed, he becomes so anguished that it says that the sweat became like great drops of blood, and people say, oh, well, that's just figurative. That's just flowery speech of the writer to really uh, let us know that he was in agony. But no, there is a condition that causes that. When somebody can be under so much mental stress and anguish that the micro blood vessels in your forehead burst. And he was bleeding, kind of a watery blood, almost like somebody dumped Kool-Aid over his head. But the sweat became great drops of blood. Can you imagine the exertion of that prayer? He was saying, Lord, I... I know this is the only way, but if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. He was the son of God, but yet he was also the son of man. He was was in a fleshly body like we have today. He felt aches and he felt pains. He got hurt. I'm sure he skinned his knee as a child and Mary probably kissed it and made it better. And he was about to endure the most torturous time of his life probably more torturous than virtually any other human has endured. So he was up all night, and all of a sudden, one of his closest confidants, Judas Iscariot, betrays him. He knew it. He predicted it. But it happened. And then there's this kangaroo court back and forth from this prefect to that prefect and this ruler to that ruler. So needless to say, he didn't get any sleep. He was up for hours, over 24 hours. And after that exhausting prayer, he was probably dehydrated, getting dehydrated at that point. He was getting weak and tired at that point. But no, nobody would let him rest. What they did next is they, they, they said, oh, we'll just punish the guy. He's not really deserving of death at this point, but we'll just kind of teach him a lesson. Kind of keep him in line so he doesn't get any crazy ideas to try to take over the Roman government like everybody's saying he's going to. So the Roman soldiers had their way with him. Have you, ever been, have you ever been jumped by several guys? I mean, many of us haven't, but some of us may have been jumped on and ganged up by, by several guys. I mean, you could take on one guy, but when there's two or three others, you know, you, you, 
The odds are against you. You just The only thing you could do is get in a fetal position and just wait for it to be over. But he was kicked and beat and punched and slapped. They played games with him, made fun of him. They blindfolded him. And then they hit him and say, oh, okay, you're the Messiah. Prophesy. Who hit us? Which one of us that hit you? They ripped out his hair and his beard. They punched him and kicked him and humiliated him. And because everybody claimed that he was the king of the Jews, they took an old ratty uh, centurion's cloak and put it on him as if it was some sort of majestic robe of a king. And then they plaited a crown of thorns. And we're talking about these old Judean thorns that were hard as nails and that were one to three inches long. And you can see that we have a crown of thorns there on the cross there in the baptistry. And they took that and they, they, they thrust it down on his head. And you know, I mean, if anybody ever had a cut on the forehead, you can have a paper cut on the forehead and you're going to bleed like crazy. I mean, that's, and, and I mean, anybody who, who grew up watching uh, NWA and WWF and wrestling like that, you know that they would always cut their foreheads, these little razor blades they had in there, you know. And so, I mean, they would just bleed like a stuck pig. It was insane. And so these, these thorns would just get stuck in his scalp and scrape his skull. But it wasn't over. They took out the most diabolical tool of torture called the cat of nine tails. And it was a whip with many thongs on it, many, many straps on it. And affixed to these straps was pieces of bone, dumbbell style pieces of metal. Just anything that was sharp and jagged, anything that would do damage, they put on that cat of nine tails and they beat him re relentlessly. They strapped him to this column, and then, and then, then they strung him up on his tiptoes. And, and, and his back was nice and taut. The skin was nice and taut. And they just went to town on him with this. And, and, and they beat one side so much, there was no sound flesh anymore to beat. So they went to the other side, and it would bite in. It would wrap around to his chest and bite into his skin. And when they pulled it back, it would rip off chunks of skin. His, his body was reduced from head to toe to raw hamburger meat. Many men died of the scourging alone. You imagine how weak he was. And then they determined, okay, we're going to kill this guy anyway. You know, just, they made, they had that, they made, they passed the sentence of death. They were going to crucify him. And then that dehydrated, weakened state. How many pints of blood did he lose at this point? We don't know. There was probably muscle and maybe even bone showing from the scourging. And, you know, you ever had an open cut and something touched it? It stings. And so they got a big old cross beam. Oh, I don't know, probably weighed maybe 30 pounds or so, maybe more, I don't know. But it wasn't this nice polished wood. It was this old splintery wood. And as they put... Crossbeam on his back. Those splinters dug into his raw shoulders. And he stumbled. And he fell. He couldn't make it. He couldn't carry his own cross all the way. So they conscripted another man and forced him to carry it the rest of the way. And once they got to where they were going, they weren't finished yet. They crucified him by putting old rusty spikes Rusty nails, 
through his hands and through his feet. Could you imagine as the nails went through the wrist without breaking a bone, but with separating nerve and sinew, how that, that, that stinging, searing metal went right through into the wood. And then they laid one foot across the other and nailed the foot, you know, from, from, from foot to heel with one nail. That wasn't bad enough. They erected the cross and just thrust it down into the hole that was dug for it. And it just jarred him. We can't imagine the pain. We can't imagine the suffering that he endured for hours on that cross. Most men by that time would have been dead. Not such a good Friday for the Son of God. But it was a good Friday for us. Because everything that he endured, everything that he'd gone through, everything that had happened to him, deserved to happen to us because of our sin, our failures, our shortcomings, our rebellion against the Most High God. Now you came here tonight. You came here tonight as either one of three people. You came here either as John, or you came here as a Judas, or you came here as Peter. If I was to put a title to this message, it would be Three Men, One Friday. Three Men, One Friday. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, is where we'll start. John chapter 18. So you're one of three people. You're either John, Judas, or Peter. Are you John? John, the faithful, unwavering, fearless, loyal to the soil guy that stood firm and plugged away at what God had instructed him to do. He was faithful, never moved, never budged, never wavered. He was the one that, that, that the gospels say was the one who loved the Lord. He was called the beloved. And he served the king faithfully. We see in John chapter 18, starting with verse 12. Then the company of soldiers, the commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. They first led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. Who do you think that was? That was John, the other disciple that followed. We always talk about Peter because he's named, right? We talk about Peter and how he followed Jesus to the court sessions, how he denied him and all that. But we, we, we forget that Jesus really wasn't alone, that John went with him. John was faithful. It says Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one, who, uh, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. So are you John? Are you faithful John? You know, John risked his life. Peter risked his life. All the other disciples scattered. 
In Mark, it says that even one young man, which was probably Mark himself, had nothing but a sheet wrapped around him in the garden. And when the soldiers snatched him, he left the sheet behind and ran naked. The prophecy says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happened. But two sheep followed him. And that was Peter and that was John. But John wasn't mentioned by name because he's the writer of this gospel. But he was there, witnessed the entire sham of a court. He was faithful. So are you John? Are you that faithful, unwavering, fearless, loyal to the soil guy who stands firm and plugs away in service to the king without fanfare and without recognition? His name's not even mentioned, but we know it's John. Or are you Peter? Are you Peter tonight? Are you desirous to serve like John, but fearful and always tripping over your own hang-ups and your own failures? It says Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside the door. So the other disciple, the one who knew the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You! Aren't you the one, aren't you one of these man's disciples? Uh, I'm not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing there warming themselves. And Peter was standing there warming himself. Let's jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And they said to him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied and he said, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter denied it again. And immediately the rooster crowed. Or are you perhaps Judas? Is Jesus not meeting your worldly expectations? In this Christian walk, is it, is it not what you thought it was going to be? Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to throw in the towel? In Matthew chapter 26, we read about Judas. Beginning at uh, verse 14. Then one of the twelve... The man called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Now let's jump down to verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said, Peter! 
Couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. And after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived, a large mob with swords and clubs with him from the chief priest and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign, the one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Are you John? Faithful? Are you Peter? Desires to be faithful, but a screw up? Or are you Judas? You're just thinking about walking away from all this. The world is just, their offer is too good. John was with Yeshua to the bitter end. If we go back to the Gospel of John, to chapter 19, we'll see this play out. In John 19, 25, we see that John was truly with Jesus, Yeshua, to the very bitter end. In John 19, 25, it says, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, that's John, standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple John took Mary into his home. Are you faithful like John? Come hell or high water, even at the risk of your own well-being. There was no guarantee that John was going to be uh, accepted just because he uh, knew uh, the high priest and all this kind of stuff. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He could have been guilty by association. But that didn't deter him. He was going to be faithful to the end. He not only followed him to the trial, he followed him to the cross and was the only disciple there at the cross. Now Judas, on the other hand, allowed his worldly expectations of the Messiah and his misunderstanding of Scripture to cause him to walk away, only later to realize and to regret his mistake. In Matthew 27, starting with verse 3, it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. <laughs> what is that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, well, it's not permitted for us to put this into the temple treasury since it's blood money. They conferred together and bought a potter's field, and it was a burial place for foreigners. 
Therefore, the field was called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Judas thought that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome. He knew the scriptures. He knew that there was going to be two messiahs, or they believed two messiahs. One was going to be the suffering servant. One was going to be the conquering king. They were under Roman occupation and Roman rule. Judas Iscariot was a zealot. He was a revolutionary. He was of that political party that was trying to sabotage Rome at every corner and every chance that he got. They wanted to be a free Israel. They wanted to be back in control. They wanted their own people to rule the land. They were tired of this Roman occupation. And so when Jesus came along and was talking about a kingdom, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he might have thought maybe this is it. He saw the miracles. He saw the healings. He saw that he was there for the triumphal entry. He was there when he kicked out the money changers and said, oh, here it is. Here it is. Maybe this is it. And then when he refused to be king, because they wanted to make him king right there at the triumphal entry, when he refused, maybe that's when he decided, ha, I, I, I've been bamboozled. This is, this is not the Messiah that I expected. Sure, he, he's a great teacher. Sure, he can, he can perform miracles. But what's in it for me? What does it have to do with me? I'm still a slave to these Romans. When is God going to free Israel? So he decided to betray him. But we see that he regrets his mistake. Judas never understood that repentance was an option. Luke 12, 10 says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. There was forgiveness, the possibility of forgiveness and restoration for Judas. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, sure, Peter, Peter messed up big time. He was a yellow-bellied, lily-livered coward. He folded like a cheap card table. But Peter, he basically did the same thing Judas did. He betrayed the Lord by saying, hey, I don't know the guy. I don't know him. But the difference was, is that Peter was truly repentant. In Luke 22, starting at verse 60, we read, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it says that he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter instantly regretted his screw-up. He realized at that moment what he did. Oh, sure, he was brave when the other disciples were around. 
You're not going to arrest my rabbi. Grabs a sword and chops the ear off of a guy. He had an audience to perform to. The audience gave him a little bit of bravery and hubris. But all by himself, when all his friends were gone and it was nobody but him and, and John wasn't even in sight, he was there in the courtroom. Peter felt a little sheepish. He wanted to shrink and become invisible. And everybody knew who he was. Your accent gives you away. You look like the guy who chopped off my cousin's ear. Surely you're the guy. No, no, not me. And he buckled and he folded. But he repented because he wept bitterly. At that point, Peter thought it was all over for him. He's washed up. Now he has to live the rest of his life in regret and defeat. How could God ever forgive me? How can Yeshua ever forgive me after I betrayed him? After I denied that I even knew him? <laughs> I guess I'm not a, a disciple anymore. I guess, I guess that just marks me off the list of being an apostle, of being a minister. And so we see in John chapter 21, what happens with Peter? So in John 21, starting with verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This was after the resurrection. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were together. <sighs> I can imagine. I imagine Peter as a big barrel-chested man, you know, the kind that's got all the big chest hairs, big burly broad shoulders, big old beard, you know, probably unkempt curly hair with a kippa on it. And he probably said in a big, deep bass voice, verse 3, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter said to them, what else was he going to do? Surely he can't be a disciple. He's washed up. He, he, after all, he denied Jesus. He denied his rabbi. So he could only do what the only thing he knew how to do, the only thing he was good at, and that was catching fish. Because of Peter's remorse, not only was there forgiveness, but there was restoration. Peter thought that he would have to make a living fishing again, but he was wrong. So if you go to verse 4, it says, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one who Jesus loved, again, that's John, said to Peter, it's, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. Since, there was, since there were, they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught. Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come, 
have breakfast. Jesus told them, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. I wonder if this brought memories back of when they were on the road ministering and the miracle twice over of the multiplication of fish and bread. In verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your fishing career? Yes, Lord, he told them. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Then shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. Three times, Peter denied Christ. And three times, Jesus gave him forgiveness and said, no, you don't have to go back to these nets. Didn't I tell you once before? You're going to catch men now. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Finally, it sunk in. So Peter, Peter's restoration, he thought he was washed up. He thought he messed up too much. He thought he was a screw-up. He thought he would never make the grade of an apostle. But yet, didn't Jesus call him Peter the rock? He saw something in Peter that Peter didn't see in himself. He had confidence in Peter that Peter lacked himself. And as a result of this forgiveness and restoration after the biggest screw-up of his life, Peter ended up leading a revival that we read about in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, starting with uh, verse 38, this is, this is Peter preaching to thousands. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from the corrupt generation. So those accepted his message were baptized. And that day about, it was a round number. There was probably more. About 3,000 people were added to them. Wow, what an altar call. I don't think that Peter ever imagined that that would happen after he decided to go back to his nets. And even after Jesus forgave him, he was probably still had lingering doubts. So which one are you tonight? Are you John? Then keep on keeping on. Are you Judas? Well, you're still sitting here. You haven't, you haven't braided your noose yet, so there's still time. There's still hope. Or are you Peter? Just because 
you're a screw-up, just because you failed doesn't mean that God is through with you. Remember, Peter became a great evangelist and healer after his biggest failure. I mean, we're talking about TV evangelist failure here. We're talking about money embezzlement. We're talking about sexual scandal. I mean, compared to betraying the Son of Man, compared to denying your own rabbi, he thought it was over, but it was after his biggest failure that he became the greatest. We see that he led 3,000 to the Lord, but you read the rest of, of, of Acts, and he became a great man of faith. A great man of faith, so much so that he didn't even have to say anything. He didn't have to put his hands on anybody. He just walked by someone, and the shadow passed by a sick person, and they were healed. And the prophecy that Jesus gave him when Peter was restored and forgiven, that he would be led, he would be tied by the hands and led to where he didn't want to go. This is how Peter ended his life, in a blaze of glory. You thought it was the Satanist that invented the uh, upside-down cross. Uh-uh. That's our cross. You're like, what? Ah, they can pervert the rainbow. They can pervert the cross. It's ours first, guys. When Peter knew that he was going to be executed by means of crucifixion, he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, fellas. I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that my Lord did. So if you're going to do this deed, crucify me upside down. And that's how Peter ended his life. Because Yeshua, Jesus, had a bad Friday, you can have a good one. The choice is up to you. So are you faithful, are you faithful John? Then keep it up and encourage others to do the same. And if you're a John and you see a Peter that's floundering, a Peter that's failing, a Peter that wants to be like a John, put your arm around and encourage that person. Mentor them, train them. But if you're a Peter, seek out a John. Seek out somebody to look up to. Seek out somebody that can mentor you and train you. And realize that your screw-ups don't mean anything to God. You've got a repentant heart, and that's what matters, and that's what counts. Or are you Judas? You're just disillusioned with everything. It's too late for Judas. Judas right now, for 2,000 years, has been burning in hell. Because of his failure to realize that he could have repented, but he didn't. It's not too late for you if you're a Judas. If you're thinking of walking away from the faith. If you're disillusioned because you had the wrong ideas about Christianity. Or, or maybe your life isn't turning out the way you thought it would be. Jesus never promised it would be easy. He never promised it would be a walk in the park. Matter of fact, he said it's going to be hard. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But I have no regrets. Well, I take that back. I have one regret. I wish I would have gotten saved sooner. So if you're a Judas, it's not too late. Let's stand.